right in the nuts. In honor of Jackass <laughs> Forever, what's the best way you've hurt yourself? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with a time when I was at Sundance and trying to catch a bus and slipped on a patch of ice right in front Oof. of the bus and fell on my back. And not only did the bus driver come running out uh, to check on me, but Jordan Hoffman was right there. And he also came over to me and said that the bus drivers probably have to check on us to make sure I don't sue, um, mm. which is uh, not a nice way to think of this nice man checking on me. And I was fine. Yeah, and then Jordan you sued anyway, which was kind which of Which is how up. she made her millions. Yeah, you bankrupted <laughs> that poor guy. That's true. Oh, just that one bus driver. That was the whole thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I'm Matt Patches, and the, the pain that recalls uh, I can recall clearest is, is when I did the milk gallon challenge. And when you drink an entire gallon of milk in an hour, uh, the problem is you lower your body temperature extremely fast and uh so i spent the night on the floor bloated and just frozen to death it was horrible because the milk is so cold yes the milk is really cold because you've been keeping it in the refrigerator this is the same matt patches who once sat at the desk of my room uh at 71 second (laughs) avenue once upon a time and chugged four locos Mm -hmm. while I, what were you doing? You no, were that, what happened? Springs. What happened was that I chugged a four loco because people were egging me on, and then I went and yeah. threw up, and then I came back mm-hmm. and I chugged an entire other four loco. Sure, of course, of course. <laughs> and I would not describe that as pain. I would describe it as victory. Mm. That's why it's not my lightning round. It, it was joy for the rest of us. I think. Mm-hmm. I'm Dave with the seven, and I tested if a vodka enema would get me drunk. It did not, but the fallout was extensive. How do you oh, how do you get that in you? Uh, with an enema. Or do you, you buy an enema? Take... You empty okay, out the okay. saline and you replace it with vodka. I don't know if you had to just... do it yourself or help. You were supposed to replace it with triple distilled vodka because cheap vodka like I was using will actually shred your insides because it's not like distilled enough and the particles are, it's bad. It sounds like it did shred your insides. Mm, It was super fun for a couple of days. (laughs) Um, uh, And I'm David Ehrlich and I I also have an alcohol related story. I remember being on a date at Mama Mexico's in the Upper West Side of Manhattan when the glass that I was drinking uh, margarita from exploded in my hand Ooh. and uh, glass went, I still have the scar, I'm looking at it right now as we speak, across the palm of my hand. And the waiter, for whatever reason, I guess not the first time they'd seen this, but I still am not sure about their, their logic, ran over and squeezed a lemon into the wound. Oh, <laughs> to like cauterize it. Um, I was going to ask if your or, margarita had salt on the rim. That would be especially oh bad. Yeah, I was like, I, you know, part of me is like, is this some sort of of way of uh, of you know, disinfecting like it, or is ritual? it is it like ordering water at Coyote Ugly when they're just like, you know, they're really coming up to punish you? Um, but whatever the case, I still have I, to like a two or three millimeter um, scar on the palm of my hand, and uh, you know, eighteen years later, however long it's been, I'm assuming at this point it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, was this your wife you were on a date with or not? I honestly can't remember. It may have even just been me out and some friends, but it's a better story if I say it was a date. Jackass. We certainly were not dating. We certainly weren't dating in college, so it wouldn't have been a date. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 378, Pandemic 98. Holy cow, we are rounding that 100. It's the week of Wednesday, February 2nd. That's the day that in 1922, James Joyce's Ulysses was published. Wow, it, it's turning 100? I feel like I haven't. I feel like I should have been have you seeing read it? people talking about the anniversary. No. Have you? No. <laughs> I don't have time. I was an English major. It seems like something you were an English major. Never did. A double English, double English and full major. And look where it took. I know. Talking on a microphone. Use the English major all the time. Use English Uh, every day. Anyway, happy 100th birthday, Ulysses. Happy almost 100th pandemic episode to us, David. You got iTunes to work. Do we have any reviews? Uh, we do indeed. And let's see what they say. I'm gonna bring the microphone closer to my face here. Um, I don't believe we ever, did we ever read this review from Maddie J who finally left us a review? That's the, what their headline is. Not uh, the one from, uh, turns out to be from like 2018. 
No, that's from the email. No. That's the one I remember from last All week. Right, yeah. All right. Well, well, you know what? Worst case scenario, we'll read the short review from Maddie J a second time. Uh, but I don't remember it. Maddie J says, finally leaving a review. I've listened to the show for years and have wanted to leave a review. However, I knew the nickname that shows on my reviews was embarrassing because I chose it at least 14 years ago when I was a teenager. I finally figured out how to change it. Now I'm, <laughs> David speaking, I'm very curious what Maddie J's super embarrassing yeah. nickname was. Patches, what was your most embarrassing screen name? I only had one screen name. I mean, if I say it, am I going to get my identity stolen? Um, but my AIM screen name was a kind of burner that my dad made uh, when we were first starting AOL, and it was never used. So I was like, I I don't want to use my parents. I got to use my own. So I was Mango Patch. Mango Patch. Mango I, want, Patch. I just want to say, I do not use this screen name for anything else, so... Don't sure, bother, yeah. but you're still, uh, Mango you're still on AIM. This should have been next week's later. Mango though. Patch um, is what I would be uh, IMing. Yes, not DMing. IMing my uh, flirtatious IMs to my would be girlfriend in middle school. Just like mm. Mango Patch is here. I Hello, mean, wacko. who among us could forget sitting hunched over their laptop and hearing that <laughs> door hinge sound and being like, oh my God, is it my crush? And yeah. then they're just I didn't there. Have a you know. Back then. That was our family oh, yeah, gateway. No, family, Whatever yeah, it was. T- totally. Family and they're. Gateway. Perfect. They're they're sitting, you know, they're sitting at their computer, DMing with people, DMing whatever, aiming with people who aren't you. What are you going to do? Slide in there anyway. Um, <laughs> back to Maddie J as a torrent of of uh, <laughs> memories flowed back to me as it's like Proust's uh, AIM. The best part was I, the best part was IMing your crush while playing Warcraft. Am I right, guys? You sure Am are. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoy this podcast. Cool Don was there. My crush was there. <laughs> My crush was Cool Don. Cut out the middle, man. I like the conversational tone, AJ says, and that the hosts don't necessarily agree on everything. It creates a fun atmosphere, and I appreciate the different takes. Thank you, Maddie J. We appreciate you and uh, whatever horrible indignity you've spared us by changing your screen name. Uh, A.M. Wallace says, spoilers are real. This podcast is so close to being great. But their spoiler policy is inconsistent and wildly unpredictable. One minute, they'll take spoilers seriously, and the next, they'll describe the entire plot of Titan before even naming the film, or I would imagine <laughs> calling it Tatane. I would recommend this podcast far and wide if I didn't feel like a spoiler could jump out at me in any second, which in a strange meta way kind of simulates the experience of watching a movie unspoiled. I think we we tend to do a pretty good job of having spoiler sections for our. Wait, if you watch a movie and worry about a spoiler for that movie jumping out at you, that that feels like a weird way to watch a movie. Oh my god! Don't tell me what the plot is. Why is this Chimilby showing me the plot? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's not what they meant. We do try on spoilers. I think maybe on the top tens we get. Yeah, we we may have we may have wandered. And Titan in particular is one of those movies. I remember wrestling with it at its festival premiere with just how much to reveal because everything about it sounds like it could potentially be a spoiler. Is the premise a spoiler at what point in the, like, is it the end of the first act uh, where um, things are no longer a spoiler? And I, ironically, uh, my bar for what counted as a spoiler ended up being much, much higher than a lot of the other reviews that were published that same night. Um, And I regret it. Uh, yeah, uh, I just, I really, I, I don't know. I got to see it unspoiled and enjoyed it. Because I'm also not sure what our spoiler policy is, but it usually starts with David being like, I haven't seen it all the way through. Don't spoil it. And if he has seen it, he's like, yeah, oh, full spoilers. I... No one gives a shit. Just spoil it. That's how it is. <laughs> I, I don't like to be spoiled on things. So I And this is why we're not talking well. about Station Eleven until next week. That's right. There you go. <laughs> so spoiler alert. We're talking about Station Eleven next week. Oh, man. You got to Anyway, A.M. Wallace, we will uh, continue to be wary of our spoilers. Uh, very sorry. But thank you for listening. And finally, um, a sentiment from San90981 that A.M. Wallace may or may not agree with. This, you know, because it could be the fault of my spoiler policy or not. Uh, get rid of David. One star. Please uh-huh. clear him out of the show. Dot, dot. So annoying. I'm sold. Uh yeah, I mean, I, would it be annoying for me to point out that two dots is nothing? Just neither a think period it's nor a game. I think that, that might yeah. be one of the things they find annoying. It might is be. It? It's a long list. I, I have to think that my... Uh, um, anyway. Whatever. I, just, uh, I, I anyway. just think it should be, you could, if you leave five stars, maybe yeah. we're more inclined to take your advice. So it's like five stars, get rid of David. Then we have to have a quorum. 
One star, get rid of David. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just yeah, a review really. I get discount. That's true. Mm. Buying it. Well, uh, buy, buy your opinion to, into value. It's okay. The uh, the payout I would get, the severance from being kicked off this podcast, would wow. total so many millions. That it, <laughs> yeah, we really, really never should have let you around. unionize. Yeah. I'm just glad <laughs> we killed tenure. You can't, uh, yeah, we don't have that. We'd, we'd liquidate all of Katie's bus driver millions. Uh, anyway. Just been keeping the show afloat. <laughs> If it's any consolation, San90981, I have eczema on my left foot right now. It's very itchy. So maybe that's <laughs> karmic retribution. Do you typically have um, eczema? Are you an eczema person? Do you have like oh my God. a green yes. regimen here? <laughs> no. It, I mean, it's, it's not, <laughs> uh, not what people it, it's not that for. Alma, it's not nothing much for. of an We'll talk about this the next time here. we don't get it's reviews. Just, it's just a couple <laughs> of itchy <laughs> red bumps. But I feel you. Okay. I, I'm yeah. I'm prone to low grade eczema. Who isn't? It's winter. Skin's <laughs> Normalize dry. eczema. I think I think next time we don't get reviews, we'll all talk about our skin ailments. I can talk anyway. to you about my history at Accutane. We can all. I can tell well, you the masks are destroying do, my face. We can face. do a whole no, segment no, three no, about Accutane. The, the people, you got to keep it as a threat. Don't do it. Yeah, yeah, Accutane could have been my answer to our lightning round this week, an Accutane related story. <laughs> um, anyway, if you would like to leave us a review if you would like us to read it live on the show if you would like us to not talk about our apparently uh multi uh, multiple <laughs> and sorted experiences with accutane uh <laughs> go on itunes leave us a review on fighting in the war room great speak your mind say your truth onwards you decoding man you send you up reason colon nine to nine two so all right We want to talk about the Apple TV Plus series, The After Party, uh, which is funny to talk about the week after we talked about Search Party, uh, which features John Early and its cast as well. Um, Please don't be confused. They're separate shows. Um, The After Party is uh, from Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I think Chris Miller must be the primary person behind it. He gets to create it by credit and Phil Lord is... And he's directing all the episodes. Executive producer with him. Yeah. Phil Lord wrote... I'm not sure how that partnership shook out. It sounds like he was in the writer's room for this more than... Yeah, and the, they started developing this like in 2013, like around the time 22 Jump Street came, uh, came out. So it's been oh, wow. in development for a long time. It also feels like 21 and 22 Jump Street. It's definitely in the key of 21 Jump Street. It's a yes, wacky show. Yes, and Channing Tatum shows up in the first episode in a tiny cameo. And Dave Franco is a more substantial role in it. Um, but it's a whole bunch of comedians who have gathered together for their 15th high school reunion. We're going to talk about the timeline on that because it infuriates <laughs> yes. me. Oh yes, that is my biggest <laughs> oh complaint. My God. But they also make a joke <laughs> about it. Should we should we do it now? Yeah, should we so talk the, about how it's insane because most of these people are older than us and well, yet they're supposed to have graduated it, high school after us? They graduated, but their in, ages vary so wildly. Ike Barinholtz yeah, is Ike Baron, in his 40s. Ike Barinholtz is ten uh, years old. older than Alana Glazer. <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense. But you could see anyway. how time would weather a man like <laughs> his character. Um, but yeah, I believe that they graduated Ike in two thousand six when he was in high school. So. Yeah, These I graduated people's... college in 2006. Ben Schwartz yeah. is older than me. He's in his Correct 40s. the record, Hollywood. Uh, but also they're having a 15-year high school anniversary. Not a 10 or 20, a 15, yeah. which they have to make a joke about because it's so absurd. And it's the But it's the only yeah. way you can get this age level of comedian in a show with this premise. It's hilarious. But make it a 20th. Have them graduate high school in 2002, the year I did. Like, I think they people are all think like... that's old. That's too old. Could be cool. Oh no, I've aged out of the Apple TV Plus comedy demographic. Ted Lasso is older than me. Okay, so anyway, they gather together for a reunion. Dave Franco plays as Justin Bieber. Than you, what? Ted Lasso is older than Katie. Oh no, no, I mean of course. Sorry, I misheard. Of course, Ted Lasso is older than you. Ted Lasso. I thought Katie was saying the opposite. I'm sorry. I was like, that is, I was personally were you, offended. I was like, were you mistaking Ted Lasso for like one of the like, like soccer hunks on the team? No, okay. I was, I was running to your and by association, my defense at the Ted horror Lasso. that Ted Millennial Lasso would not icon. be older than, I, than we are. <laughs> okay. So anyway, they gather together for their reunion. Dave Franco is this Justin Bieber-style pop star. And in the very first minutes of the first episode, so no spoilers, he winds up dead, having fallen off a, falling off of a balcony onto some rocks. 
And uh, Tiffany Haddish and John Early show up as the cops to investigate it. And the gimmick of the show, which I didn't get in the first episode, I had to keep watching to figure out the actual hook, is that every character takes some time being interrogated by the cops and kind of tells their version of events of the night in a different movie genre. So the first one is Sam Richardson's character who kind of tells does a rom-com where he's trying to reunite with his high school crush. The second episode is like Baron Holtz's and it's his is like a Fast and Furious style like drama. Um, so it kind of expands from there, gets into more genres and certainly is, is more of a hook. But I think the like comedy and ensemble nature of it is more interesting than like the genre jumping, at least for me so far. Patches, you've watched more of it or at least as much of it as I have. Yeah, I have watched, uh, I think there are eight episodes and I have watched seven of them somehow. So this was definitely- But they're releasing week by week. They are. So only, so, yes, only two or three have aired. And I won't, I won't spoil anything, but I, I think the good news is this is definitely a murder mystery. There's definitely a whodunit and they will solve it, but I could not spoil anything about this show and its pleasures, uh, which are just get a bunch of really funny people in a room playing Knives Out um and and having a ball like i think that we binge this all the screener episodes that i got and uh the there was only one downer episode for me and that was actually alana glazer's episode she plays this woman chelsea who has a drinking problem and is in a dark place for reasons unknown um and her episode is kind of a girl in on the train Woman in the Window esque um, <laughs> parody, which I guess mm. Netflix just did one with Kristen I mean, Bell. So this is really in vogue right now. I'm you don't think that, that's of, what her? Par- kind of like it's just like I, it's just like a psychological thriller. Like I didn't think it was that specific. No, it is uh, definitely that specific. I think it's very apparent. But it's I also a downer. Like it's weird. It's just kind of morose and not that funny and doesn't play to her strengths. But everyone else's episode is absolutely playing to their strength. And it's just, I think Sam Richardson is a joy and, and really charming and could actually be kind of a movie star. I think there was talk of that when he was in the Tomorrow War or whatever whatever nonsense uh, he was in. Wow, Chris, he was in that But thing? he could like Chris Jesus. Pratt upgrade for sure uh, in, in the immediate future. I think he's a really charming guy and a good person to anchor this show. He's, we spend most of the time, like the, the episodes aren't completely genre bending they kind of flash back and forth as people tell their stories about that night at the at the party or at the reunion Reunion. then we're they're talking to tiffany haddish and and sam richardson's also trying to piece the mystery together back at dave franco's mansion so we get a lot of just the ensemble interacting after the fact doing the knives out thing and he is just a great anchor um ben schwartz's episode is a musical and I cannot wait for the album for this show to come out because it's just earworms <laughs> and he's a delight. I mean, big song and dance His numbers. was my favorite of the, of the ones that I've it's watched. It's really a F- Miller and Lord joint. I think that's what's surprising. Um, I guess, what was the last thing they did? <laughs> Is make, uh, they did Mitchell's versus Machines, but not really. Like, not really their thing. They, yeah, they produced it. You mean as director? They got fired off solo. Uh, what have they done? But this feels like a return to kind well, of the they, 21 they and 22 uh, as, as we've discussed, they did not direct, but they certainly oversaw Mitchell's vs. the Machines, which had a very big year. Yeah. That's something. Uh, oh, they developed the after party. Uh, they're working okay, on... Okay, they did the show uh, we're talking Spider-verse. about. Yes, that's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Um, and they've got the new Spider-Verse. They have two new Spider-Verses. Spider-Man's. In yeah. Spider-Man's. It's actually Spider-Man. I mean, they they have grammar. in some way like taken their sense of humor and spread it across different filmmakers and allowed them to flourish, which is not a bad use of the position that they're in. No, definitely not. Um, but I think the best part of the show is just that the character stuff works on its own. It's not just a parody. It's not just sketch comedy every episode. I think the big discovery for me is this woman, Zoe Chow, who plays this girl, Zoe. Uh, someone, the... someone didn't watch Love Life Season 1. I did shows. not. Uh, wait, what? It, what? It, is she in that? Sure is. She plays the best friend character in a way to Anna Kendrick's lead in season oh one of that HBO Max show. I'm never going. And uh, it, it's a delightful show. And the second season is uh, William Jackson Harper in the lead. It's an anthology series that is sort of interconnected and is also del- also delightful. Um, and she is uh, wonderful. And I've seen her. I feel like it, it was soon as I saw her in that it was like a bader meinhoff thing i started seeing her everywhere um but i can't remember where else i'm having the bader meinhoff with um the woman who plays one of the jennifers who also played vicky on the good place oh um, yeah 
and I'm looking up her name so that I don't uh, get it wrong. Uh, but all of a sudden, I've been seeing her absolutely everywhere. Tia Sirkar uh, is all over She's the, the place, voice of so. Sabine Wren in Star Wars Rebels, if I recall correctly. That's absolutely where I saw her, obviously. <laughs> yeah, you are <laughs> yeah. a big Rebels fan. Um, now, now <laughs> yeah. I, will say the first, I watched the first episode of this. I am big in on the uh, Lord and Miller brand. I tend to like pretty much everything they do. Um, and was very high on Mitchell's vs. the Machines. And so I was excited about this with the, the plethora of comic talent they've gathered together here. The idea of Dave Franco and Channing Tatum playing Hollow Notes for 90 seconds on screen was enough for me to invest in an eighth episode series. This town um, is an, e- an eater of men. Yeah. <laughs> God, I miss Channing Tatum so much. So glad he's back and not like commenting on Joe Rogan's Instagram. He's please he's stay back pure with that Channing. Movie with his dog. He's I can't coming, wait. Coming he's in not hot. the rock. Um, I know. I know. It's awful. Uh, but um, I, I I liked the first episode well enough. I am excited. You know, I, my wife and I are still working our way through only murders in the building. It's been months, so we move slowly. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm excited to eventually watch more episodes of the show. But the first episode didn't feel like it had the kind of pop that I usually expect from their stuff. It was amusing. I enjoyed getting to know these characters a little bit. And I understood going in that it was going to be a different genre in every episode. And so it was sort of not, you know, putting too many eggs in the rom-com basket here. But it was missing a little bit of the pizzazz. You know what, what that could be? A little bit of the edge. I've been, I'm thinking back to our West Side Story conversation about like what you gain from making a movie in terms of budget and crew and like how big you can go. And this is a weird thing to, to think about while trying to immerse yourself in a story and, and watching. But I can't help but think Lord and Miller can do like a million different things and layer it on in the setting of a movie where they have resources to just devote to 90 minutes. And here, when they're shooting a television show, uh, they can only do so much. I'm, I'm just like, I find the idea of shooting a television show where you have to have so many setups and so much time, but in like an economical way, uh, it's unfathomable to me how they make television. It still is, even and also every, years and years and years moment, after learning how they do it. Um, but every yeah, moment a lot. in a movie, and especially you know their movies, which are so... Uh, detail-driven and have so many yes. wonderful little gags and layers to them, um, is every moment is so dense with information and so pressured. And here, when they have a wider canvas to play with, there may not be the same sort of density of, of jokes. Of well, uh, I, But maybe not. I mean, you guys tell me, does it get funnier? Does the, the, does the premise it as it builds, as every episode yeah. builds, does it coalesce into something more? That's the big part of it. I found the first episode pretty draggy. It's also really long. It's like 45 oh my God, it's minutes. Like, yes, and the other ones minutes. are like 30 Oh, um, okay. And the, the show loops back on itself because it's each it's each character kind of revisiting the night. So things that you saw sure, in the sure, previous sure. Yep. episode that didn't make any sense kind of loop back or they change context or like, you know, in the first episode, it seems like Ike Baron Holtz is screaming one thing through a car window. And then his episode, it's something completely different. So th- it, it does start to build on. Also, there's a scene there's a scene that repeats where uh, yeah. Ike Baron Holtz throws Sam Richardson through an ice sculpture that's holding a lot of shrimp and i think dave franco delivers a different line in every story like one of them is my prawns um (laughs) and and i and that's when i started picking up like all the alt lines actually make their way into different episodes which i think is hilarious um Mm -hmm. and also the stylistic changes as a gear shifts from like the the musical to the action movie uh zoe child's episode is an animated uh so that's just like perfect lord and miller mode um, yeah, yeah I, I mean the uh, the detail in the first episode where Detective Tiffany Haddish is like I could tell that she's an artist because she had some ink on her hands. So I was like, is that enough to draw that conclusion? <laughs> I don't know, she's a detective, but uh, I definitely, I definitely, I know, I know. Uh, also, Tiffany Haddish is amazing. She, all she does in this show is sit at a desk and like listen to people's stories, and she is the funniest part. <laughs> she's just she's like really fiddling funny. with things and being like, no, go on, I want to hear more. And I'm just, she's amazing. She's an amazing performer. I also think uh, Dave Franco is really funny on it. I, it's not like the coolest person in the show to pick out of the cast, but he's really. I'm good. feeling Does fluffed by the show more... as a millennial. He has a like a him and Ben Schwartz have a ska band in high school that they keep talking about, <laughs> and the gag is continuously entertaining to me. Someone who went to high school uh, in the early 2000s, just. Perfect. As yeah, wait, someone who got... enjoys the stylings of Dave Franco, does he get because he's the murder victim? Does he get more? Yeah, he's, he he's, in, he's in a lot of it. Okay. A lot of flashbacks. Um, and then, Patches, you haven't gotten to the 2006 set episode, have you? Oh, I have. 
Oh yeah, okay. There's a yes, there's a good flashback to actual 2006 high school that is again perfect, full of like mixtapes, which also feels the time is weird. Like everyone is acting like it it's feels 1996. like it should be set in 2002. Yeah, but it's 2006. Maybe it was like that. Mm. I don't remember anymore. Mm. What was yeah, but there's like? also a lot of like of like tiered flouncy mini skirts and like. There's some 2006 fashion choices, but a lot of it feels like it should be in 2000. Yes, 2000. A perverse decision to make us feel old. Us and anyone <laughs> else our age. Um, I mean, how old do you think Ike Barinholtz feels making this show when he's like well into he got, his 40s? He got to feel young again. He got. I would love nothing more than get paid a boatload of money to pretend that I graduated high school 10 years later than I did. <laughs> okay, from um, now on, David, we're calling you the resident Zoomer, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep, you What's have to represent for your generation, Dave. <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you asked. I saw the Dads of TikToks, which is an account that my wife sometimes uh, spams me with, uh, talking about how dads are like only exist to make their children laugh, no matter the consequences. Um, I relate to that. Uh, but yeah, I, I got the sense of the first episode, even when it dragged, that it was really it was going to build something and just sort of cumulatively become funnier as all the gags layered on top of each other. And I look forward to finding out where can people watch the after party, Katie. Apple TV Plus. Uh, I believe the first episode and maybe the first two episodes are available on YouTube where they're, you know, trying to give you one free to get you hooked. They played one on um, Twitter. They it was like on their Twitter what? page. You could watch the whole thing. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. They really um <laughs> want to to draw you in. Um and I yeah, I, I think it's certainly worth it. I'm excited to see more of it. Because the more I stick with it, the more I get out of it. And it's but it's not like you gotta really get through the first four terrible episodes. No, like it's enjoyable like. from the beginning, but I think the level of um the high level of comedy it's operating at becomes clearer. Yeah, the Ike Barinholtz episode, for all his um aging woes, uh is actually hilarious. <laughs> he's he's carting around a kid yeah, trying funny. to parent and crash the reunion, and it is very funny. He's there's him and Dave Franco have a bit where they pee into urinals for yeah. like five minutes, and it is glorious yeah that's the uh, i thought of you watching good gags <laughs> just very good gags like. more jokes that's what we need the after party Uh, all right, David, you gotta you gotta include us in this segment. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, yeah, or... it won't be. It will not be a problem. So, uh, as we talked about on last week's episode, the Sundance Film Festival well, was happening then is now just concluded, and one of, if not the sort of dominant trend, at least among the narrative films at the festival this year, was that the so many of them, beyond just the confines of the midnight or even the next section where they play a lot of the more uh, experimental is too strong a word, but um, the sort of outro affair, uh, all the way to the main competition, were tinged with horror. Um, and you know, dare I say, sort of elevated horror that people have come to associate with that phrase. But, uh, you know, there were competition films like Nanny, which won, um, which was has a supernatural bent to it. Uh, films like um, Master and Resurrection, uh, which is not in competition, um, and Hatching and uh, Fresh and all of these movies that sort of popped at the festival uh, had this horror bent to them. And I wonder if that, and there have been articles written about this. My coworker, Eric Cohn, wrote uh, an excellent article on IndieWire about this trend that had source, uh, great quotes from people in the know who are sort of speaking to why this might be. But there, we've seen over recent years that um, no matter the upturns and downturns in the financial fortunes of independent film, horror tends to sell and translate. Uh, it's something that people, regardless of what the movie is, are often in the mood for and will seek out and be more adventurous than they might be with other types of movies. Um, and these movies tend to, to, to do well, whether they are the sort of just jolt you in your seat sort of release, like the, the Conjuring movies, or if they have, uh, I don't know, there's no there's no rhetoric for talking about horror of a different sort that doesn't get you into trouble. Elevated horror might be just the simplest for the benefit of this mini segment, even if it is sort of conceptual horror. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind that. I think that's fine. Um, When you say elevated horror, you mean get out and presumably other stuff. I mean, we're talking about horror with uh, social commentary, um, horror that is more 
sort of austere in its presentation uh horror that uh yeah i mean is is sort of um, jean colette sarah more... used to call his movies elevated horror i think that's well maybe he's responsible uh, I thought Jungle, that, Cru- Jungle Cruise was the only true... horror. Does that oh, count? Yeah. Hey. Devil. Devil? <laughs> well, well played. Uh, yeah, I think Jungle Cruise was the only thing that Colin Sarah has made that would approach elevated horror in the traditional sense. But, uh, Damn. Um, but I wonder, and I'm not alone in wondering this, if you guys think of this as potentially being a trend, and regardless if you know what it might portend for the future of independent film when... Uh, you're seeing narratives like the film that won nanny is about a Senegalese uh, nanny who moves to New York, leaves her six year old son in Senegal, comes to New York, works for Michelle Monaghan and her husband who's played by Rebecca Ball, Rebecca Hall's husband, um, whose name is escaping me right now. Spectre. Oh, he was on Morgan um, Spectre. Morgan Spectre. Yeah. He was on plot against America. Yeah. Big, a big Sundance for that family because Rebecca Hall was in the truly astounding uh, resurrection. And um, she is trying to raise money to bring her son over to America. And she is visited by visions, apparitions, what have you, from uh, her local folklore. Uh, And it has a very, from the very first shot of the movie, has sort of a supernatural horror bent to it. And we saw a lot of films like that. Like one of my favorite films at the festival, Speak No Evil, which is just about a couple who uh, meets another couple who seems a little odd, but friendly enough, on a vacation in Tuscany. And then when they receive a postcard a few months later to come, inviting them to, uh, to Holland to, to visit them for a weekend, they, they go out of politeness and decorum because uh, they thought it would be rude to say no. And it gradually becomes a pitch black, but often very funny uh, horror movie about really horror for people pleasers and like the, the dangers you can get into by not standing up for yourself <laughs> and just giving people an inch and letting them... Uh, Letting them run with it, uh, and it, it you know, by the, it's very funny in a Ruben Oslin sort of way. But by the end of it, as uh, the scary, you know, as, as scary as uh, as any horror film I've seen in recent memory. But uh, that's another movie that I think uses leverages horror tropes to get people to invest in a story that may not read as traditional horror in the first place. And like, is this something? Do you see this as a problem? Yeah. Like, does it feel like? I mean, obviously, like having only horror movies is a bad thing, but like in terms of getting these filmmakers' attention and financing, like it's it's getting a wide variety of stories, right? It is. I mean, I don't think it. You know, like anything else, it's not a problem necessarily in and of itself. Um, it could be kind of oppressive if that is if filmmakers, you know, responding to the market forces and now in the self perpetuating cycle, seeing what got into Sundance and did well at Sundance, continue the trend. Yeah, I mean, it could become a little bit much, just like anything else is, when suddenly it's saturating everything, and every movie is a Marvel movie, and every indie movie. But is I also, a I kind of feel for live. horror people in a way where it's like, sure, some people just want like straight horror. They don't want elevated horror. <laughs> they want gory, yeah. tropey, d- dingy horror, and it's like you're kind of. I don't know. Uh, it's like moving to a town and gentrifying, or not even yeah, gentrifying, yes. even just like, you know, touristing it up. I mean, it, it, it can absolutely have that feel if that's, you know, a community that you value and there's a particular kind of horror that you feel is pure into your love and that it's been sort of tainted and diluted by these other interests. Uh, yeah, I, I can feel for that community. And I think with a movie like Nanny, which was one of my favorite movies at Sundance, uh, I didn't see it until after it won the Grand Jury Prize, but I thought, uh, it was a very worthy winner. Um, it It's a complicated movie, and I hesitate to echo some other criticisms that I've seen that were suggesting that the horror elements were sort of the weakest part and distracting from a really sort of probing um, immigrant story that, that just is harrowing enough purely on the grounds of its drama. I do think that the horror elements, even if they're a little overcranked, add to the tapestry of what's happening in the story and pay off in the end in a way that I found you know, sort of abrupt, all the more powerful because of that. But it's very easy to imagine a world where you are seeing movies that are burdened by that obligation um, because they needed it to get made, they needed it for a hook, uh, but it's getting in the way of stories that they want to tell. I think for the most part, the movies at Sundance this year that invite us to talk about this did not fall prey to that. Um, I didn't I'd rather love, this Sundance you know, uh, stock than like, Young man comes of age on Staten right. Island one summer. Like, yeah. There's, there's yeah. been worse. What if it's just happening because the world is more horrifying? 
It's you Ooh. know what that's totally plausible, and I don't want to take the cynics approach and say it's only happening because this is the way that these stories get funded. And looking at a film like Nanny, it is so clear how that circumstance that the protagonist of the movie is living through invites the horror elements that that are brought to bear. Um, it is an incredibly horrifying scenario, and so that actually, you know, barring from the horror genre, it just feels like a stone's throw away. Um, and yeah, Katie, to your point, it, it's so funny now that, you know, the only movie that left out of me is fitting the bill of what you described, like a kid growing up in Staten Island one weekend, was something like Cooper Rafe's uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth, which was such a refreshing change of pace. Uh, in this particular <laughs> crop of Sundance. And so it's glad a very, those young, handsome white guys who star in their own movies are getting a chance to show. You know what? It's a very good version of what it does and, and so uh, far removed from, from, I think, the movies that have earned movies like that a negative uh, tinge. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is funny how that used to sort of be the norm and now felt like a, a vintage throwback um, in a very a different complexion of what the festival could be and uh, you know for for better i think for the most part it's to have that variety um but yeah it was it was it's interesting i mean i'm looking even now at the screenshot from lena dunham's movie which has i mean there are elements about it that you could say are horrifying but it makes no attempt to sort of co-opt the feel of a horror movie uh and even the screen grab i'm looking here on letterbox looks like it was pulled from a horror film um just Kristen forsyth and uh i actually um, think that the packaging of these movies like at a film festival can lean into this trend in a way. I had I was talking to someone who was trying to cover genre film at Sundance this year and was like, I watched a bunch of movies that really looked like horror movies in the packaging, in the descriptions, in the marketing, <laughs> in the Sundance program. And then I watched them and they weren't, so I couldn't cover them. It was a waste of my time. <laughs> I'm like, that's so disappointing for you. But I mean, it's, it's a true trend. It's like, we got to make this sound genre-y for people. And it's funny because I had the opposite experience where so many of the movies sounded like they would be more traditional Sundance fare and ended up curving into genre territory. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, the distinction between the midnight section and the official competition was, you know, the, the smaller than ever. And uh, it's an interesting trend. It'll be interesting to keep an eye on. I think, um, yeah, I think there, it, it could affect the horror, the way that we think of horror movies to the to the good and for the bad uh and we'll see how it plays out but prepare to be mild mildly unnerved by even some of the <laughs> sort of uh, celebrated indie fair that you i'm so startled yeah <laughs> Eep. Like I said, speaking of mildly unnerved, very unnerved, Yellow Jackets. We're getting to it a little bit late because it ended its uh, season a couple weeks ago. But you've been dying to hear us talk about Yellow Jackets. I know. So now is the time. It's the Showtime series that I don't think anyone thought was going to be a big deal and then turned into the show everyone wanted to talk about over the holidays while um, pondering cannibalism and who uh, hunts down who as the antler queen in this remote <laughs> Canadian wilderness where this soccer team full of girls crashes on an airplane in 1996. And then we see them in the present day, played by Melanie Linsky and Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci, among others. Um, and there's a lot of mysteries to piece together. I when I started when I started watching it, I thought it was a limited series, and then like halfway through, I realized there was gonna be a season two, and I was like, oh no, that seems like it's not gonna go well for anybody. Yeah, and the creators have said think it, they think it's gonna last like what five seasons. They have a plan. Apparently, they've apparently and they've walked second, that back a little bit. Oh, and the second season because Showtime this became a huge hit for Showtime, the second only to Dexter for them. Uh, is going to be out before the end of 2022. They are really yeah. They want to make what season I'm... a year for the next five oh, wow. years, pre presumably. Yeah, get, get get those production trucks out into the woods. Um, so Dave, yeah, we haven't heard from you much this episode. I know you are into Yellow Jackets. Yeah, why were you into Yellow Jackets? Uh, this is a series that has you know flashbacks and mysteries and people surviving and is very lost like. And also, in the world of television series, um, this one was piloted. Like, they shot the entire first episode, 
send it all around to the network executives and be like, yeah, this is good. Now make the rest of it. And they sort of had to commit to that. So part of the thing that we were talking about with the five episode plan is uh, the creators have said that's, you know, part of the pitch when you go in because you want them to know you have enough for like 100 episodes or whatever they think is like continuing content and you're not going to peter out in story. But the reality is this being run much more like Lost where it's like they're kind of making it up as they go along. So I was thrilled to watch a mystery series that has to uh, live and die sort of moment to moment uh, with no abandon for like actually what it has to accomplish. Like, I, I don't think they necessarily Wait, can know. You, can who's... you set up, can you just, sorry to butt in, can yeah. you just set up the basic premise and the, the two parallel timelines for the people? I who did. Made... I did you, that. Did you? I, I, you mentioned the plane crashing in the woods, but you did not, I think. I mean, I can I, be wrong. I, I, I said okay. the we take place queenly t- names of Melanie Linsky and Juliette Lewis. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I heard those those wonderful names, but we got I'm 19, not sure. If- we got 1996 timeline and 2021 timeline. And in 1996, a uh, girls' soccer team has crashed in presumably, let's just say the Canada. mountains. It's somewhere in Canada. Yeah, like the Rocky Mountains, pre- seemingly, uh, based on wildlife. and um, uh, in 2021, we are seeing the survivors of that crash living their lives. Uh, most of them have families, and uh, but they're still dealing with uh, the fallout of uh, whatever happened out there in the woods. And then very early on in the pilot, uh, we see um, th- those girls eat another girl. Uh, we don't know the identity of any of the, the, the cannibals or the did person who was eat- eaten. Or, we know that Misty is one of the cannibals. We do know that Misty is we one of the cannibals. We see her, that's, but that's by it. the end of the pilot. You're right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, as the series uh, goes on, we see how we are maybe building towards something happening in the woods that is going to have consequences uh, for them in 2021. Uh, Can we say spoilers for Yellow Jackets from here on out? Yeah, if we oh, haven't boy, convinced yeah. you to watch Yellow Jackets. Well, spoilers yeah. for Yellow Jackets. Yeah, because um, we should talk about Dave, this whole season and, and why why it still works by the end. Why were you still watching? Are you excited for season two? I think my big question. I want to go go back to what Dave was saying about Lost because obviously Dave is our foremost Lost expert on this show. And like the idea of being thrilled by them kind of making it up as they go is feels counter to a lot of the way that the internet processes shows right now. And Yellow Jackets really spurred all of these theories about like what's in Jackie's journal? Who is Adam really? Kind of assuming that there was a master plan. And I think... We haven't seen all the the full season or the full show wrap up, but I think the finale kind of suggested like, no, this is kind of much more of like a simple show than you're assuming. And I enjoyed that as well, but I feel like there's been a lot of disappointment that it's not like every single piece of the puzzle fits together. Why do people um, think people so, think it's made up as they go? I don't really understand. Yeah, I'm confused. Like, I I wonder if future seasons might be a little seat of their pants, but this season feels can't they like slowly it was roll things very out? Clearly mapped. Like, well, no, I'm okay. saying, like, people are, uh, you know, frame by framing shadows in the window of the cabin and being like, does this, you know, these tools making a symbol or these sticks, you know, indicating something like that. Very Lost-like, where if you prime people to look for things, they're going to overlook. So I think the fandom also is, you know, see- the people who like the show seem to have liked where it ended up, which I think was a season more about like the core relationship of all the girls and Jackie um in at least in the past but like considering where the pilot left us was there's like this antler queen and all these cannibal girls i could also see how people think now they're slow playing it to say like oh we never meant to provide any hard answers to that this season as a matter of fact you know we were switching up the pink shoes amongst the cast members to like intentionally divert things and that that feels lost like to me. Hmm. I mean, the thing that really um, kind of n- not convinced me that they made it up, but they didn't know the level of scrutiny that they were going to get is the um, Jackie's journal where uh, she they look at it in the present day at some point, And it's like supposedly written by this character in 1996, but includes mention of Titanic and American Beauty. And it's such a glaring error in terms of this character being like in the world at that time and like they gave an interview to Hillary Busis my colleague they're like yeah we d- like Shauna has been like filling in the journal like as out of guilt for Jackie's death 
And I don't buy it. I think they must have. <laughs> like, I think they just didn't think anyone was going to pay attention Let's to see. it. And they didn't Biggest movies in it. the 90s. Prop person. Yeah, I think uh, that's basically okay. what happened. And, like, it's completely plausible to see how that would happen. So, things like that, like, I, again, find it kind of endearing. And I'm interested to see how they work with it. When they work with no- making a second season, knowing they're under this level of scrutiny. Um, but I, I hope people don't continue to get disappointed by assuming that there's, like, eight layers when there's... Yeah, two. I mean, I that's, am... That's brainworms problem. By... That's not the show's problem. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it makes Although me they, need, they should have fixed that to, prop. That prop is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> to watch right. a show... I mean, I think one of the things that Lost did and changed for the better was this communicating and understanding that, like, TV of this nature tends to work better when people have a master plan or something close to it and are not um, trying to make it, a, you know, you, when you have, instead of Paulo and Nikki uh, getting buried on the beach, when you have an end game in mind, you're working towards it, something like that. And this is the kind of show where I think it's constantly testing the, the boundaries of how much it can get away with before the whole thing falls apart. And I am a little bit worried, as successful as I found the first season to be, that with a few things out of place, it could kind of all fall apart and go out of control. But I have to say, you know, there were ups and downs in the first season um, as the show was kind of figuring out what it was or they knew, but finding their footing in the editing room um, in terms of finding the right balance. But I was more hooked by the very end of the season finale than I think I was at any other part of the season. And that Mm -hmm. speaks well to, well, because I think the, as obvious in hindsight, as it seems the kind of, uh, doors they knocked on and the paths they suggested they might go down in season two the way that they set it up feels less all over the map and darts at a wall um than i feared that it might i mean like i can and it also points to something a little bigger without maybe being too big Um, the fact that it just like sets up hey season two is gonna be about lottie and her cult yeah and like it's also true that despite what i was just saying I think maybe my favorite episode was this, was season was episode three, which is the most that the show ever leaned into like tween to Twin Peaks. Oh my god! <laughs> if only they were a little bit younger, that would work. Um, Twin Peaks would be a great premise for a show. I think Snick may have tried it once, but um, the uh, yeah, it was the Twin Peaks like vibe of episode three with the woman in the window um, and the suggestion that some of these things might be, if not supernatural, then kind of inexplicable. Um, and that was kind of the show at its wooliest, but I also was so intrigued by what it was doing. And it kind of returns to that again with that character towards the end of the season, what she finds in her house. Um, and I like that stuff too. I'm just, I hope that they, I hope that they don't have the season two problem that so many shows have where everything just erupts and goes insane. I remember how much I hated the first season of Heroes but then the second season of Heroes, which I somehow stomached watching an episode or two of, was just like so <laughs> comically off the rails bad right from the start when they were so overwhelmed by the possibilities and the interest and the momentum they built. I like this. And, I like this high wire act. This is exactly what I like yeah. about the show because it's not yeah, I mean, something I like, like Game of Thrones. It's not working off, uh, you know, some things we licensed from the Tolkien estate. It's like. Oh, you guys like this? Great. Or like Melly Linsky's like, I don't know what happened to my baby. You know, like, we're we're playing with fire. The premise of us finding out slowly, you know, with these characters that we are identifying with, that we like, that we want to see not get arrested for things that we don't know that they've done, um, we are going to invest in over the years, not dissimilar from Lost. We're going to learn more sinister things that they have committed. And so we, you know, I... Love Melody Alinsky. I love her performance in this, but I'm so endeared to her from the start. And I imagine over the next few years, we will learn more and more fucked up things about her character. Well, that's, that's the thing. The, the characters and the performance, they, this show is perfectly cast. I mean, everybody is unhinged in the, in the present generation and um, bursting with personality in, in the younger generation. Um, I'm actually the biggest mystery in the show is how Ella Purnell, who plays uh, Jackie, the team captain, uh, who doesn't make it, uh, as we learn, uh, she dies in the cult. Um, but I could have sworn she was going to grow up to be Christina Ricci because they look exactly alike, and then then she doesn't. What? So that was the like weirdest mystery for me. That was my wait, episode you one. That there was my episode you, one. Wait, confusion. Oh, episode one. Okay. <laughs> no, this but is there like, is ample. There is like, ample Christina opportunity Ricci? to bring more star, like more. Uh, of the the people who were in Rolling Stone when I was fifteen, um, yes. or on the cover of Rolling Stone when I was fifteen, into the show, like I was waiting for, and this still might happen in subsequent episodes. The reveal that one of the 
one of the what are they called, Dave? The the tailies in Lost, like the like the extras that are just sort of around in the background. Oh yeah, in season two they realized the tail the red, landed on the other shirts. side of the yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, the red shirts would, would die right away. But I mean, like, I, I want to see someone who isn't a red shirt because they survive, and it turns out they grow into be like Marley Shelton or Jennifer Love Hewitt or someone. Right. And that um, is well, the, <laughs> the, the, the two theories that I'm attached to is Shannon Sossaman as adult Lottie. Oh, amazing. Um, amazing. And then Lauren Ambrose as adult Van. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like a cheap woods. Yeah. Um, or Merritt would... Weaver. It's really hard to decide between those two. Oh, I mean, the sky is the limit. And I think we do have to touch on how the show really nails a certain grunge is not maybe the right era uh but the the, the kind of like riot girl, post grunge yeah vibe that they get i mean the theme song is just uh mwah, yeah. chef's kiss it's up there with succession uh but i think even more impressive because it is an out and out you know there are lyrics it's a rock song that is hinting back to this era and really rooting the show that we're seeing in both an attitude and a particular time that these women are, you know, the adult women in 2021 in the show are all still ensnared by um, and sort of uh, forever. See, after party, this is how you line up like past and present in uh, accurate ways (laughs) that also please the audience. Um, Yeah. I will say. uh, Oh, sorry. Go. uh, I just the accuracy of despite Jackie's journal. Uh, the accuracy of the music in particular is incredible. Yeah, the one thing I keep thinking about, Dave, you insinuated that maybe we just all insinuated that maybe the show doesn't have a five-year plan or doesn't know where it's going. Um, and I, I guess I find that really valuable. I'm invested in the characters. I like to see who gets paired in what episodes. And like, I'm a big fan of the ha- uh, of Hatchet, that book. Uh, by Gary Paulson. I like seeing people stranded, so I don't care how long it takes for the girls to get out of the woods. I like seeing them, like, capture animals and kill them and, and eat, cook them and try and figure out how to live. I love the episode where they try and fly Eating a plane. cook each other. Yeah, like where they hunt boys and get, hold the <laughs> knives in their necks. I love all yeah. that stuff. It's just great camping tricks. Um, I mean, no, yeah. <laughs> but, what, but one thing that I, I keep thinking about in this conversation is something that Stephen King has written a lot about. I think even in On Writing, he, he mentions this, which is when he starts a book, he just kind of like goes forward um, and he sets tell. up yeah, but but this is but this is how I, I think this is why many of his books last like 800 pages, but um, also why he'll always pay things off and things will end up connecting through his revision process. Well, you know, he'll he'll plant seeds not knowing where they're going. Um, but ultimately, as he goes back and looks over what he's done, he starts finding the ways that they've organically connected. And I think when you have a strong cast and when you have momentum. Uh, these mysteries, quote unquote, kind of resolve themselves in interesting ways. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not wondering what will happen next on Yellow Jackets. I'm just kind of excited for what will happen next. So yeah, it's a good place to be. I don't feel I, invested uh, in a theory about what's not going at all on the show. What is the? Yeah. What would you and theorize also, about? The, the one well, thing I, I think the, you can oh, say for lot. sure so you has, a, has an altar, and there's some mysterious things happening. I guess. I mean, I'm not interested theory. in investing in in literally any show that I watch, but the or in, in like predicting what's going to happen in it. But I, the one thing I think that's safe to assume is that unlike Lost, and I'm someone who was not bothered by the series finale of Lost, and thought that you know the fact that it ends on the right beat. Uh, paves over any manner of sins but this is not a show that is going to end with all of the girls in like an astral plane church reflecting on their sins and finding peace with their god or whatever the fuck like this is going to be uh as we we learned many times in the first season something a little bit gnarlier and uh the the show seems committed to that i idea and that feel and uh i am all for it do you think the show is to kind of wrap up here do you think it's about anything so far about how being a teenage girl is vicious like i think that's what we jackie's know, death really brought home that like like i think so many people were like oh she's gonna be the first one sacrificed like she's gonna eat by a bear and then she gets killed by like really basic mean girl shit essentially and i thought that was such a good way to be like this is what this show was about it is i mean it's lord of the flies but about girls and i think a really specific like ways of being female and then the, how it affects the women as they grow up like i think there's a lot to explore Wait, there in addition to all like the early shit bit more about obviously the three of us over here on this side of the gender mm-hmm. uh, do not have uh this insight but i'm wondering if there's like specific moments 
that kind of struck you uh, from the, the female experience? Uh, well, I think I saw, I mean, a lot of it's in Shauna's character, who is like the point of entry character, but like she was overshadowed by her best friend and then she did like terrible things as a result of it. And now she feels she's felt guilt as an adult for the way she acted in that, but then like obviously still has insecurity about her role as a housewife and like. You know, Melanie Linsky has tweeted about people talking to her about her body on the show, which is like an extra added fucked up layer. But like the way that the show shows her as like you think that she's this demure and boring housewife, but she's got this like rage within her that comes out in certain moments. Like, I think there's a lot of complexity there and a lot to relate to, even if I don't know how to skin a rabbit. You want to learn. I think the the show. Do yeah, I, I mean, one I of the one of the takeaways is that, Katie, you could learn how to skin a rabbit a lot faster than uh, you might think. I gotta yeah, be honest, guys. After, and we'll get into this next week, but between Yellow Jackets and Station Eleven, I'm all in on like doomsday prepping. I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos about how to cook food out in the woods. I'm just like, I'm getting. Have you really? I'm getting ready. Yeah, well, partially because my daughter loves um, how-to videos, so we were pivoting mm-hmm. it away from like, or not, not how-to. She likes um, how do they do that video. So instead of watching endless videos about how they make crayons, we've decided to like, how do you, yes. how do you cook bread? Without an oven, how do you cook bread over a campfire? There's like six ways, and in a Dutch oven, right? Well, you could build your own. You could fashion a Dutch oven, but there's you could actually. There's, well, I'll let you see the video, but there's a lot. It's pretty. You watch the ones about in... how they make Legos too. Those are pretty. Good. Oh yeah, oh, great. You oh, live oh, in made New Jersey. Lego, right? It's as close to a post-apocalyptic <laughs> scenario as you can find uh, without the world actually coming to a total end. So I understand the impulse. Are we just there. skipping the step where we ride around in the 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 with the Doof Warriors? Because I <laughs> that's the whole point of the apocalypse. It's just that's what bon you've Jovi. been preparing for. <laughs> uh, wait, Dave, are you invested in theories? I feel like if anyone of say, us would should, be, we be should you. wrap up with theories, even if we don't like theories. Okay, so I, mean, it's not I don't like theories. It's just like uh, any theory coming true would be fine I, with I like me. The theory. Oh yeah, any theory coming true will be fine with me, and then also none what's of it coming theory, true. Dude? Like I, I want, to, I want to see execution. That's great, but I, like also this could end with like and execute. Like they're gonna execute somebody, like ch- no. cutting off their heads and eating them, or what kind of executions? <laughs> you looking no, for? no. If like search party, they wanted to like drastically alter the tone each season and give that a try, and there's like some bumpy seasons, like whatever. Like as long as you were doing something interesting, because John again, Early should show up in the forest for no reason. I would <laughs> yeah, love that My... definitely. But My like, only theory is that Shannon Sossaman is going to fire her agent if she does not appear on the show <laughs> next yeah. uh, They could be like um, the raising the daughter to be like a queen, forest queen because they have some sort of what they assume to be nature power up in the in the mountains and they're all just trying to protect that uh, isolation of Whoa. the next generation. How of, long uh, do you things. think they're in the Forest. They said well, eighteen months. Wait, hold on. Oh, let me months. let me ask Dave a follow up question. Well, no, so Dave, like you that's are, what, wait, until some people come back, and Dave, they're like, we are, ate people. But what convinced... if the thing is they didn't? They didn't. They wait, ate maybe one or two people. There. But like, the, Dave, you are well, yeah. convinced that this show is going into full blown, undeniable supernatural territory? No, I think it can't buy as long as it keeps like the certain things in the woods right on that border. I feel like, like a magical island of Lost, there's a lot the audience will accept as just being like vision based or whatnot. The weirdest part, the weirdest thing the first season did was when Jackie was dying, her see a vision of a dude we've never seen before being like, I've been waiting for you. <laughs> and like, mm. like, that's the only thing that we see. Um, but there, I do think there's going to be some additional weird supernatural element. Yeah. But there, yeah, I mean, like in the last episode, Tyson's. She wins the election by performing some sort of satanic ritual in her basement, right? I mean, how do you uh, think anyone else wins an election? That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't she's know also been e- like eating dirt for happen. fifteen years or whatever. So you know, like, there's. I think there's a lot of interesting ways it could go, but the show I feel could like get that big, where like in the last season, it's like protect the forest people that we left out there. Mm. And if Search Party taught us anything, it's never too late to, uh, you know, pivot pivot Escalate. towards right. uh, the supernatural. Yep. So we'll uh, we'll see we'll see how how it goes. Or I think it could just be very sobering, and be like everybody who was touched by this thing is just like irrevocably I, scarred. And we can, but it doesn't we have feel some, that. I mean, the fate but the fate that, of right? the the girl who was big into Jesus like that's pretty would sig- 
the, the state of the girl is big into Jesus would suggest that a, a reliance, uh, belief in a higher power, good, evil, godly, Wiccan, whatever the fuck, is not going to spare you the personal agency and personal risk involved in getting through this, even if there are hints that supernatural forces are at play. Well, yeah, but didn't her teddy bear ignite uh, <laughs> mysteriously? <laughs> well, but like, did it? The, did she see that, or did it really happen? Like, I think the the, the wiggle room for vision. Yeah, so I think there. we might be dealing with it on that level. I will be super weirded out if we actually like confront a forest god without like doing some mushrooms. But they've already done mushrooms once, so yeah. like, and who it knows went well for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I, I, do, I do think like there is a way where this turns, uh, pulpy in the way where it's like, here's how everybody's fucked up, and they just go through how everybody got like super fucked up, right? To show like you know there was some sort of societal root to everything that they did in the forest that trained them to be like even more sharpened or dulled in like society. The, like the Jackie death, but a lot of different ways. Yeah, exactly. And so like the people who made it out alive uh, are, they're all more dangerous than they look um, sure. on, on purpose. Well, I am certainly rooting for the show because I think it's great when an original property like this organically finds a, a big audience. Um, and I love so many of the people on it. And uh, I really hope that, you know, that they they stay true uh, to the characters and to the premise and uh, that the subsequent seasons are as fun as the first one was. Yeah. We'll find out soon. I look forward to the Jesper Society. (laughs) With their little knives. (laughs) Their useless little knives. It makes you want to just rewatch that one scene. that does it for this week's show as we've hinted for two weeks now we're going to talk about station 11 next week so catch up like me and talk Data about it with us uh, i got some work to do, do. you remember, uh, damage? Me- remember damage i do remember damage i've seen and i've seen two episodes so i've Dr. gotten to 11. that line and that's how much i know all right in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm at patches deputy editor at we're at polygon i'm on twitter at mr patches we have a website fighting in the war room Com. Unfortunately, during the apocalypse, you won't be able to listen to episodes because all the internet will be out. Uh, you'll be in the woods eating your friend. But uh, before that, you should probably binge some old episodes. And you can do that on FightingInTheWorld.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the chief film critic for IndieWire. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich. You can find all of us on Fighting in the War Room on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, unfortunately for San90981, this podcast has a 10-year record of being defiantly against self-improvement of any kind, so I will not be <laughs> leaving the show. Uh, we're just going to truck on in its shitty compromised state. But uh, everyone else, welcome to follow along. Um, even San90981 is welcome to follow along. You just may not enjoy it. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We'll read it on the show. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can find me on Twitter at DA7E. Uh, you can also write us or uh, send us your international reviews because our iTunes doesn't show that to us at F-I-T dot, oh, F-I-T-W-R dot <laughs> podcast at gmail.com. The Fit Podcast was about to get a whole bunch of weird emails. <laughs> uh, but fitwork.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fair and on the Little Goldman podcast, where this week we're talking to uh, our friend Esther Zuckerman about her book about Oscar dresses. So that's fun. Um, Oscar voting is over. The nominations are coming out next week. Everybody get your nomination Thank morning God. snacks prepared. Oh, it's not over yet. The Oscars aren't until the end of March, Patches. Calm oh, down. No. Katie, will... Plenty more time to hear about <laughs> Belfast. Will, don't look up. Be nominated for Best Picture. Say your piece now. Uh, yes. Yes. I'm going to say no. Really? I'll say Just yes. To, I don't know. I mean, yeah, with, I mostly with just said no just because you said yes. We should talk about Belfast, I guess. Should we? I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Man, I got, I got nothing Back to say Station 11, Belfast. we're talking about Belfast. See Belfast. If you're going to watch a movie about the Troubles, about... Belfast is If you're going to watch a movie about the Troubles, don't watch Belfast. There are so many better movies about the Troubles you can start with. If you're going to watch a movie about the Troubles that came out in October of 2021, I suppose you could watch Belfast, but I would encourage you to broaden those parameters 
I mean, I think I take it back. I think Don't, don't Look Up's probably getting nominated. Yeah, know. 10 guaranteed Best Picture nominees. I'm the guru. probably gets in there by default. <laughs> I, I follow what Matt Patches, the guru, says. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you're welcome to make your Best Picture predictions or answer this week's Fight <laughs> Your Own question, which was? In honor of Jack S. Forever, what's the best way you've hurt yourself? <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.